Welcome to our service here at McGregor EMC, April 19th. This morning I'm going to be reading from 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise, and some people think, no, He is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Tries to hide and 
Pressing onward, pushing every hindrance aside. 
Let's bow now in a word of prayer. Our God, we come before you this morning in awe. We've been in this time of isolation for long enough that we can start to see just how you are working in the world around us, and it blows us away. Our God, we pray that as we continue on in this time, you will show us how it is that we can follow you better during this time, how we can help you build your kingdom during this time, even from our own homes. Lord, we, we are anxious to run with everything that we have towards you. Our God, we also want to bring things before you in prayer this morning. Lord, we want to bring the different relationships that our town has to you first and foremost. Suddenly being forced to be in our houses together, for many people that has brought out an awful lot of tension, an awful lot of conflict that wasn't there before, or that was maybe hiding under the surface. God, we know that you are God of reconciliation. We know that you are God of healing. Lord, we pray be with these relationships. Work with them. Build them up. Strengthen them. God, we pray that when all of this is said and done and we can leave our homes again, that our relationships will be stronger than they have ever been before and that we will be able to see you in them. God, we continue also to pray for our town and the people that are struggling because of the impacts. Lord, we pray once again for our municipal governments and for our local businesses. These are our friends. These are our family members. These are people we have known if not for a while, for maybe even all our lives. God, we pray that your strength will be with each and every one of them. Lord, we pray that your wisdom will be with each and every one of them. Lord, we pray that you will make yourself known. And God, we also want to turn our eyes now to the different areas of the world that have been impacted some harder than even we have. Lord, our eyes, first and foremost, begin to look to the south. Lord, we pray for the U.S. during this time. In particular, we pray for New York and the western seaboard as they are going through a very tough time because of this. 
more cases of COVID than anywhere else in the world. God, we pray that your hand of healing will be there. Lord, we pray that you will be with them. We pray that you will support these places. God, we pray that you will be seen. Lord, once again, we want to say just how in awe of you we are. Thank you so much for everything that you do. And Lord, we pray that with everything that we do, we will do it for you in response. In your name we pray. Amen. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Matthew 25, verses 35 to 40. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and you clothed, and clothed you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And now as a treat for you, we have Abe Jansen on behalf of MCC Alberta, who recorded his message from Calgary and sent it our way. Good morning. Thank you for inviting me to speak to the people at McGregor who are tucked away in your homes or wherever you're listening. This morning, uh, I was asked to speak a few weeks ago, and so uh, uh, it's natural that during this time we will talk about the context in which we find ourselves. So I'm glad uh, for the two readings, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, Fruits of the Spirit, and Matthew 25, 35 to 40. I've entitled this little talk, It Starts in the Dark. Last Sunday, Easter Sunday, I listened to a short message by Sarah Bessie. She says this about the resurrection. It happened in a cave. It happened in complete silence, in darkness. New life starts in the dark. Whether it's seed in the ground, or a baby in the womb, or Jesus in the tomb, it starts in the dark. I also read an article recently in a secular news magazine. The writer worried about the impact on all of America, and indeed the world, of a spiritually impoverished American leadership. In a time of crisis, the article says, we should be finding what is best in ourselves. Somehow those two reflections have something in common. Both are about what happens inside, away from the fans, away from the noise, when we are most alone. After I spoke here a couple of months ago about how low German Mennonites in Bolivia <clears throat> 
there was a request for a servant coming out of that experience and so I will draw out of that experience but I also know that in the meantime our world has been turned inside out and upside down. At least it feels that way. A nasty little virus has shown pretty much everyone except for a few deniers that life as we had long assumed it will no longer be the same. Who of us would have thought two months ago that we would, before even the beginning of spring, have to isolate ourselves in our homes, that millions would lose their jobs and businesses, and that governments would have to focus their entire energies on one thing for weeks and weeks, just to keep our countries from succumbing to a virus that spreads so easily and wrecks such havoc. In my lifetime, we've had major disasters, 9-11, the 2004 tsunami, the earthquake in Haiti in 2010, those are all quite recent. But this virus is everywhere, and besides the fear of getting ill and the losses of, losses of jobs and livelihoods, we are forced into finding our way to a great extent by ourselves. In this part of the world, at least, we have gotten used to a strong sense of entitlement. We will be looked after, and so... We could not have seen this coming, not to this extent, not the struggle of such long isolation and the endless worrying about what may yet happen. So we scramble for securities. We long for things as they were. We look for good leadership, but we also find ourselves more alone and isolated than almost we can bear at times. <clears throat> and with a few exceptions, we find ourselves looking inside ourselves for resources, for strength, for health. There are those who have seemingly no, compa no capacity for looking inside. They blame, they scapegoat. Donald Trump seems to be one of them, and all of us have some of that instinct as well. But most of us, when it gets hard, do also look inwards. For sure, these days we work hard at connecting, at also reaching out. We have Zoom calls and FaceTime and emails and phone calls and arm's length visits but we are all finding ourselves also isolated and more alone. When I was asked to speak this week, I had wanted to talk about some people I met back in Bolivia last year, people who, in a culture where they tend to live by rules and long-held traditions, have an internal capacity not so much to rebel against those traditions, but to live not just by conformity to outside expectations, but from an inner strength kind of an inner North Star. I'll name a few such people in a minute, but it seems important to do that in the context of our current worldwide situation. I'm glad that we preceded this with the readings of Galatians 5, 22 and 23, because each of the fruits of the Spirit are really the result of that quiet inner work, the inner work of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and Matthew 25 is pretty clear that those who have this inner North Star are often not aware that they have it. Carl Jung was a European psychiatrist who died in 1961. He was also a Swiss Reformed Christian. Someone once asked him, will we make it? The question was referring to the massive difficulties of their times, including two world wars, the Stalin years in Russia, the Jewish Holocaust, the genocide of the Armenians in Turkey, the Korean War, all the terrible violence of the first half of the last century. I would have assumed Carl Jung would have talked about leadership and big decisions and the United Nations maybe, but he didn't. Instead, he said this, 
We will survive if enough people do their inner work. It's a strange comment in the face of such worldwide, almost all human-made tragedies. What has any massive disaster or the devastation of endless wars to do with our inner work? I was born into an old colony Mennonite village in Blumenheim in Saskatchewan back in 1950. Our parents had 12 children. Eleven are still alive. Our grandmother, who had been born in Russia, moved to Mexico as part of a 1948 migration of low German Mennonites from Saskatchewan. Our father and mother went to Mexico in 1949 to visit our grandmother and to see if they also should move. They decided not to and instead stayed in Saskatchewan, where we, eleven of us, grew up attending a two-room public school and a Sunday school at the Low German Church in the village. My early understandings of God was that he was just God, big, fearful, often angry, a bit dangerous, and hard to please. It was important to live a good life, and there were lots of rules. Our churches were not evangelistic. Their faith was their own, and they held themselves accountable to it. We had larger families, and church growth came simply and totally from those growing families. In other words, we were a culture and a faith and a society unto ourselves, and our primary hope was to live within our own framework. We spoke low German. We preferred German schooling for our children. In church, we sang an old, slow unison without notes and without instruments. We kept religious holidays, three days at Christmas, Easter and Pentecost, one day for Good Friday, Ascension Day, and also Holy King's Day in early January. Not too much was done with sports. We obtained exemptions from serving in the military, and baptism was a rite of passage into adulthood, into church membership, and usually marriage. Our lives were measured by behavior. We followed rules. We were religious people. My grandmother and some uncles and aunts migrated to Mexico, but my parents stayed in Canada, and by the late 50s, my older siblings were going to high school and university. Our dad, who had only a grade 6 education, became involved in the local public school board, attended public political meetings, listened to the CBC radio and other radio stations and other news, read books, read the Bible, and started a Sunday school class in the old colony, low German Mennonite church in our village, where he taught for 28 years. Hundreds of children listened to his stories over those years and were influenced by him. When I think of my dad, who died at 95, almost five years ago, I think of Matthew 25, of someone who had done his inner work, maybe all his life. He seemed to have an internal rudder that kept him safe from evil and reached out to many around him. He visited the sick, the widows, those shut in by their illnesses. He told stories. He advocated for education. He confronted church leaders at times, and our mom worried they would excommunicate him. He kept a good relationship with our neighbors, loaning out his farm equipment, knowing it might come back broken, driving people to hospitals and other places when they needed help. When I was a teenager, struggling with how how to make decisions, I remember wondering how possibly I would ever develop a rudder, a North Star like what our dad seemed to have, in plainer words, a sense of right and wrong, good and evil. 
He lived out the fruits of the Spirit, which are listed in Galatians as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is the gospel, the incarnation of Jesus among us. That inner work of the Holy Spirit is meant to be lived out, and our dad and also our mother both lived out their understanding of that way of Christ, of the Holy Spirit. Most of the Mennonites in Bolivia are very committed to their own communities, and they live by rules of behavior that are strict. In some of the colonies, they are taught to not question. They're afraid of too much education as a corrupting influence, and reading too much, sometimes even including the Bible, is not encouraged, <clears throat> which means that after many decades of living this way, life really is mostly about form and behavior, or as they would call it, obedience. As a result, they worry about following church expectations and pleasing God and are constantly reminded that it's really hard to do. But early on in my time in Bolivia last summer, a woman came to MCC near where most of the Mennonites stop when they come to Santa Cruz. We have a library there of 5,000 books, mostly German and some English. She spoke English and low German. She was willing to visit a little and she was looking for books to read. This woman, still quite young, was curious. I only saw her twice, but she seemed to have an internal resilience, a joy and a strength of soul that I thought was a bit unique. And my guess is that within the traditions and structures of the colony where she lives, she is raising her children to be curious rather than just obedient. Over four months, whether at that MCC library where they came to pick up the post or to borrow books or traveling to the colonies themselves, I met many such people, people who seemed to live even to thrive in spite of the strict traditions and codes by which they conduct their behavior, gentle, kind people, as if they had done the inner work that Carl Jung named without having any idea about it. I have slides of some and I can't show them but I'll try anyway to introduce you to a few of them. Benjamin is a farmer. He's also a school teacher. He has eight children. He is also a medical practitioner, entirely self-taught, who provides a range of emergency services throughout his colony. And he's a veterinarian, also self-taught, an extremely busy young man, attentive to his family, his students, his community. I don't know when he sleeps. He is so busy but he clearly has a vision for his community and for the children in his community. Katharina is a nurse in an abusive marriage. She has two daughters and works as a nurse in a clinic, providing many, many services to colony Mennonites, working often day and night. It's a dangerous job <clears throat> because she is also the ambulance driver, devoted to her children, but also to her work as she connects every day with many who come to her with their health needs. Justina is a young woman who is learning and teaching Spanish to young Mennonite school children who otherwise would learn little except German. Learning Spanish begins to connect them to the country they live in. Justina is a woman and women teachers are not common in the colonies, yet there she is forging ahead, teaching a language that traditionally they have tried to avoid learning. Anna is recently married. She and her young husband started a library in a colony where most reading is limited to the high German texts. 
used in their German schools and in church. She has ten siblings, and when I visited them at their farm, her mother said, we are all readers in this house. Now they are encouraging others to read as well. A small project, but when someone is reading, they are usually thinking. I'm pretty sure Anna gets this. Roger is an older gentleman, <clears throat> a farmer and a faithful church leader who has spent his life leading and supporting a small rural church group. It began in the early 70s as a small Bible study group with some MCCers in some Bolivian Spanish villages, and slowly because of the faithfulness of a few people like him, there are now at least 14 churches who together own a retreat center not far from Santa Cruz City. Just before I left last August, I attended one of their retreats. Over 300 people were there from all these church groups worshiping eating and visiting, and Rocher was there as well. I already talked about my dad. My mother was also such a person. Her inner work was less assured. She doubted things and sometimes told our dad that he shouldn't be so sure of his beliefs because how can we really, really know these things, she would say. I kind of agree with her. <clears throat> the inner work of the soul isn't about becoming sure of things. It's about something else, and I'm pretty sure Carl Jung thought that as well. I really suspect it's actually about getting to a point where we can live with not being so sure of things. God doesn't require us to be sure. Faith, in fact, is not about that. It has more to do with being patient and curious. I never asked any of these people if they have been doing their inner soul work. If I had, not one of them would have known what I was talking about, and almost for sure they would all have said they had no idea. That is the thing about the inner work. It's nurtured in the darkness of our souls and given life in our actions with ourselves and with our neighbors. And if we become too conscious of it, of the nurturing of the soul, it may even undermine what we are doing. Because while the inner work is as important as Carl Jung says it is, if we focus on it, it may actually not work that well. That's why we are told to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's our looking out. The thing about the Holy Spirit is that he does his work and we do it with him. But if we start to measure it and become too conscious of how it's going, it kind of messes us up. It's done quiet, quietly, almost while we are not watching, much as Jesus rose out of the tomb while no one was watching. The people I'm trying to describe are usually people who read, but not always. The ones I'm thinking of today are people who pray, who believe, but not so tightly that they can't think. They trust themselves and their world enough to be more curious and less fearful. They may live within the rules and realities of their various cultures and belief communities, but they've found a way to live almost as quiet prophets into the reality around them. They are not revolutionaries, but their inner world has become bigger, even though their outer world may daily restrict them. And that, I think, is what Galatians 5 is about, and Matthew 25, and in fact, all of the verses that talk about the kingdom of heaven in the four Gospels. The entire Gospel and the resurrection is about this. It's about living out an inner light so that it becomes life-giving to those around us. I was on a plane once, crossing the Atlantic towards Europe and the Middle East. It was a night flight, 
And because I usually have to work to keep the plane in the air all by myself, I was up most of the night in the dark over that deep, dark water below. I didn't like it. I never do. As people went to sleep soon after we left Toronto, they pulled their shades down and so it was even darker in the cabin. And then an entire nighttime later, one person pulled their shade up a crack and without any announcements, a sliver of the early morning sun peeked in and brightened up that entire cabin. One crack. Light does that. Even a sliver of it cuts through all darkness. Darkness really has little effect on light. It doesn't overwhelm the light, but a sliver of light cuts through and overwhelms the darkness. And that, I think, is what happens when people allow the Holy Spirit to work, even if they are entirely unconscious of that voice and the work that is going on inside them. In fact, it might be better if they are not quite aware of it happening, because then we are always tempted to measure it. But like the resurrection of Christ, it is happening and eventually it is seen by the neighbors, by the children, by all with whom we connect. As in the times of Carl Jung, in our world today we have the dangerous insanities of powerful leaders like Mr. Trump, Mr. Putin, Assad, the Saudis, Kim Jong-un, Netanyahu, Maduro, Bolsonaro, the Chinese, the Iranian clerics, all people of seemingly immense spiritual poverty. It is hard to not be afraid for the future of this world. On top of that, COVID-19 has overwhelmed us like the darkness in a cabin over the Atlantic at midnight. It is hard not to ask if we will make it, if our grandchildren will be okay. But we are here among each other, each in our places, all from such very different places and with such different stories and we have the divine DNA, the Holy Spirit, and if we pay attention and nurture that seed inside us, we will bring the kingdom of heaven to those around us. Even these days, if it's through Zoom, YouTube, phone calls, emails, FaceTime, texts, and prayers, and the inner light will silently overwhelm the darkness. Amen. Every heart that is broken, 
benediction comes from the book of Hebrews. Now may the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Go now and serve the Lord.